Well, good morning. Well, good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. DJ, good to see you. Yes, good to see you. Haven't met you yet, so I don't know your name, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, welcome to Genesis. If this is your first time uh, coming uh, and uh, meeting and being here at Genesis, I'm very uh, glad that you're here. How many people uh, were here yesterday, somewhere between the hours of 6.15 a.m. and uh, about 5 o'clock in the p.m.? How many people were here? Awesome. I just wanted to say uh, a big thanks. Um, we did a, uh, a really our first um, concerted effort, a huge outreach uh, to really bless and love our neighbors uh, here specifically in Woburn, and there was a lot more people outside of Woburn who came. We did something called the Great Giveaway. Uh, we estimated close to, uh, we didn't get an official count, but somewhere about 500 some odd people were here yesterday in the parking lot. Uh, again, we didn't count actual items, but if we did, I'm venturing to say it would be well above 5,000 different items. Uh, clothing jacks that number up quite a bit, but um, we gave away just thousands of things uh, to people, and what was really fun with that is if you're here, it was great seeing people's reaction of, what am I supposed to do now? You just, you're supposed to take it. Well, what do you want? I want you to take more. And, uh, well, do you have somewhere I'm supposed to give a donation? No? I mean, a couple of people actually asked. They're like, put, try to put money in, in my hands at least to say, I have to give something. I'm like, you don't have to give anything because we're not taking anything. We're going to give you more. So uh, it was just a, a fun afternoon or a fun morning and it was great meeting a lot of different people, but I think for me, the highlight, uh, <laughs> I pulled in at 6.15 uh, yesterday morning, and there was someone, I came in, dropped some stuff off, went back to my car, and there was a car right next to mine, and I didn't know who they were, and I was like, are you looking for something? Because it's Saturday at 6.15, you should be home sleeping, and um, uh, they said, we're here for the great giveaway, and uh, I don't wear a watch, but uh, I was like, well, that's four hours from now. They're like, well, we just wanted to make sure that we were the first ones here. And I was like, well, there was no awards for the first one here, but uh, you are the first one, so congratulations. And then a line of people started coming at uh, probably like 8 o'clock, 8.30. Uh, there must have been roughly 100 some odd people at 10 o'clock, uh, and they were just itching to come down our little driveway down that little hill. And so as soon as I said, all right, welcome to the great giveaway, parking lot's open, there was, we have it on film, so we'll post it somewhere. It was like a dead sprint, because people for two hours had been looking at all of these things in the parking lot and had earmarked what they were going to touch and grab first. And I don't know if we got this on film, but there was one guy, we had a nice Trek mountain bike, and uh, there was one guy who literally dead sprint to the mountain bike, jumped on it, and rode off with his hands in the air, and um, it was beautiful. So for those of you uh, who came to visit, uh, I hope that you had fun, I hope that you were blessed, and I hope more than anything you got to meet some people from uh, this church, this Genesis uh, community. Uh, and if you were part of making this event happen, and it took a lot uh, to make uh, this event happen, uh, I just wanted to say thanks um, uh, for making this great uh, giveaway uh, what I would call a success. So thank you um, for working as hard as you did, and uh, I'm... I don't know if, uh, how much fruit, meaning we'll see, come from this, but I do know from people's expressions on their face, they were really blessed and really encouraged, and that was the whole heart 
of being generous because God's been generous to us. So thank you for uh, helping make that uh, a very successful day. Um, We are doing a series right now uh, called Love or Die. Uh, I want to say thanks to Jeremy Alexander um, and Paul Fleming. Uh, I was away uh, the last two Sundays with my family uh, roughing it in Fort Myers Beach, Florida. had a great time uh, with my wife and kids and uh, my wife's family. It was a lot of fun. Slept a lot, uh, hung out on the beach, threw my kids up really high in the pool, and they just seemed to just love that. So my youngest son, Caden, he was just all day, throw me, daddy, throw me. And I'm like, normally, if children's services heard children saying that to their parents, they would get in trouble. If, But when you're in a swimming pool in Florida, it seems to be okay. So Paul, wherever you are, and Jeremy, thank you uh, for preaching. Uh, if you did not hear their messages, we record uh, video and tape, audio of everything. It's really uh, a blessing to listen to uh, these men preach the Word of God. So we're doing a series called Love or Die. And uh, just to remind you, and especially if you're here for the first time, of why we're doing uh, a series called Love or Die, uh, to make clear, uh, we're not killing anyone if you don't love. That's not what we mean when we say die. But the reality is if we as a church, if we as a people do not love and love well and love all, um, this church will cease to exist. We will wither up and die. If the heart of who we are uh, is not so grounded and founded in love, a love for God, and a genuine love uh, for people, uh, these doors uh, will close. This community would cease to exist. And so our heart over the next uh, two weeks, uh, we've already been doing this, this is week number three, is to study Uh, and learn how we can be a community that loves God well and loves all people well all the time. Um, So the reason we're doing it is we're convinced, and I'm personally convinced, that uh, there is no better way. There's many ways that we can go, but there is no better way uh, than to go the way of love. Uh, The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians uh, towards the end of uh, chapter 12. He says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And I'm convinced that Paul was right, that the most excellent way is the way of love. Uh, And then in chapter 13, and Paul did a great job, Paul Fleming walking through uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that love is the better way. And if we are doing all of these great things, but it's not rooted in love, we are just a community that's making a lot of noise. So I am convinced that love is the better way, and that's the way we will continue to pursue Second, um, Jesus said this, we are called or we are commanded to love one another. He specifically said in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must, you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not only called to love one another, and we're called specifically to love, not in our style of love, but to love as Jesus loved. That's how we're to love. Not love people like Michael would, or you would, or anyone else, but we're called to love like Jesus, the way he loved people. That's the command. That's the call. And further on in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, the author says in chapter 10, verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Something that we as a community should be doing all the time is spurring one another on 
to love, and to good deeds. And the best way to spur someone else on is to do it yourself. There's a lot of people who can talk about loving and and doing all of these things, but action wins people. Yesterday, what we did, it was great to see how many of the Genesis volunteers who made this event happen, they were spurred on by this thing we did called the Great Giveaway. We should always be asking, spurring one another on by how I live, by how you live, to love and to good deeds. And then he goes on in Hebrews 14. He says, keep on loving each other as brothers. We can be pretty difficult people to love. (laughs) Now, you might think, well, you don't know me that well, Michael, because I'm a pretty easy person to love. And I would just say to you, you don't know yourself that well. All of us, and I mean that, all of us, can be incredibly difficult to love. And the message that the author of Hebrews gives is keep on loving because you will get tired of one another, you will get frustrated with one another, you will get sick of one another. Do not let those things fuel out or flame out love. Keep on doing this. So why we're doing a series called Love or Die? Love is the better way. We're called, we're called to love or spur one another on. And then I think more than anything is that people would see God. Is that the world around us, our community around us, they would see you, they would see us, and they would see, I see God in their midst. I see God in the midst of that people. I see God in the midst of that community. This is a lot of verses, but I, it's important because the heart of love or die is we want people to see God. It says this, 1 John chapter 4, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. That's a pretty hard verse. If you're not a loving person, that's a reflection that you don't know God, because if you did know God, you'd be a loving person. He goes on in verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then I love verse 12, and this is huge, of people will see God if we love. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Read that again, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The Bible says in a few different places that uh, God has revealed himself to us uh, in one way in creation. It would be hard to ignore just looking around us and say, yeah, this all happened just by mere chance. His creation, this creation, points to the fact that there is a creator. So God has revealed himself to us. He showed himself to us just by the creation alone. The most supreme way that God revealed revealed himself to us is through his son, Jesus. When Jesus came, came, he's God in flesh. He incarnated So Jesus is God in flesh. That's how we see God. 
The third way that we, Scripture teaches that people will see God is in us. Through creation, through the Son, and then through us. We live in a world that says a lot, I just can't see God. I don't see Him. I don't agree that I see Him in creation. I've got science to come up with a list of how all of this came to be. Jesus was so 2,000 years ago. I can't see Jesus. So we live in a culture right now that denies there's a creator, and we live in a culture that says Jesus is 2,000 years ago. I cannot physically see Jesus, therefore I cannot physically see God. The third way that our culture, our community would see God is in us. So the question that I ask is when people look at us, specifically when people look at you, do they catch a glimpse of of God. People will catch a glimpse of God when we love. Verse 12, I'll read again. No one's ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete. You can see me. I can see you. I physically can see all of you right now as you physically can see me. When I am loving, that is God at work in me. That means when people see me, they are catching a glimpse of God. Why? Because I'm loving, and God is love. And the only reason I can love is because God is at work in me. Does that make sense? Three ways, creation, through Christ, and then through us. Go back to the question I asked a second ago. When people see you, what do they see? Do they just see another person who's really more concerned about getting people to love them, or do they see, do they catch a glimpse of the Creator? I see the way you love. You must know God, because you couldn't do that on your own. You must know God, because if God is love, and and you love like you do, and we corporately as a community, God must be in your midst. Why we're doing love or die. Love is the better way. We're called to love one another, to spur one another on in love, and that's what we're trying to do. And then thirdly, is that the world would see God in our midst. I really hope, and if you're here even for the first time, that after you walk out, you would not walk out saying, well, that was an interesting message, or that was some you know, uh, music that I could you know, tap my foot to. I hope that you would actually walk out saying, I just saw, I had an interaction with the living God. I saw God in these people. I saw God in this this place. If we love one another, people will see God. Not us, people will see God. Do you think it is confusing to someone who doesn't know who God is personally, someone who would say, I don't have a personal relationship with God, do you think it's confusing to them that there's so much division in the church? Do you think it's confusing that there are, according to Christianity Today, over 38,000 Christian denominations uh, in the world? Just so you heard my math, 38,000 Christian, not world religions, Christian denominations. Do you think that's confusing to people when they don't know God and they don't know you know, the church, but when they look into the church, people who claim to know God, love God, and be loved by God, there's so much quarreling and arguing and fighting and bickering and jealousies. 
unforgiveness? Do you think that's confusing to people? I would say that has to be incredibly confusing. I would venture to say that someone looking at the church just from the outside perspective, I would think their question would be, if, if they can't even love one another well, what chance do I have that they would love me? If they can't even figure out how to love one another, and they're supposed to be family, they're supposed to be a tight-knit community, like care for each other and serve, watch out for one another, a, a, a family. If they can't even figure out how to love one another, why on earth would they love a complete stranger? I feel people who are not at all connected to God or, or connected to a church could look at the church, and I'm thinking church universally, not just Genesis right now, and say, figure out how to love one another, and then I would want to be part of that. Be done with the bickering and the divisions and the quarreling and the arguing and the feuding and just the fighting, the backbiting, the unforgiveness, the lovelessness, and then I want to be part of a community like that. Have you ever seen a family that does it really well? Have you ever seen a family where you just spend time with them and you see the way they treat each other, they talk to each other, the way that they serve one another, they watch out for one another? Have you ever walked away from a meal or just a time with a family like that and you said to yourself quietly, I would love to be part of a family like that. In my family, there's competition, there's rivalries, there's jealousies, there's all this backbiting, and, and you see a glimpse of a family who's just doing it really, really well, where you ask, how do you define or describe your family? And they don't use words like, well, we're a, a broken, divided, split, shattered family. We are a family that's healthy. We actually love each other. We actually really like each other. I have a friend who's got a family that um, is phenomenal, and specifically um, with the kids, uh, meaning the dynamic between the brothers and the sisters in this family uh, is it's just phenomenal. The way they care for each other, the, the way they love one another, and it's genuine. It is absolutely genuine. People walk away from the family that I'm thinking about saying, man, I wish I had a brother like that, or I wish I had a sister, or I wish I had a mom and dad who actually loved each other, pursued each other, sacrificed for each other. This is what the church is supposed to be, where people would see the church and the way we love one another and not say, I want to be part of that. They would say, I need that. I'm so desperate. I need that type of love. That's why we're doing a series called Love or Die. It's the better way. Jesus told us, love people like I love you, and that people would ultimately, at the end of the day, I see God in your midst, and I need to be part of that. Not just want, but I need to be part of a community like this. This is where Genesis is headed. This is where we will work and do whatever we can to make sure that we love and we love well, we love all the time, and we love all people. We're not looking to be just this tight-knit community that only likes each other. I hope that people who came yesterday to the four or 500 some odd people, they walked away saying, I, I experienced a picture of love. They saw the way volunteers interacted with each other as we carry things out and just little things of how we talk to each other. I saw love. I want to be part of that. Let me uh, pray, and then I'm excited to uh, walk through... Um, 
uh, letter in 1 John, uh, specifically chapter 3. Uh, he was a disciple of Jesus, and he was known as the beloved disciple of Jesus. He was a disciple in his letters in the Gospel of John, as well as his letters, the epistles, uh, towards the end of his life. He just could not stop talking about love uh, of God and love of one another. So, Father God, to this end, I just pray, uh, you know every single person that's here right now. God, you know whatever hang-ups people might have, whatever hurts people might have. God, whatever questions people might have about you and who you are. God, I believe very much that you have brought every single person that's supposed to be here right now. And so, God, I just pray that you would speak. God, and more than anything, I just pray that if there's anyone here that doubts or questions how greatly loved they are by you, that this morning they would be convinced of that. And because, God, of your great love for us, it would overflow from us to one another, to the community around us. So God, please, will you do what only you can do and speak to people's hearts and minds uh, in this place today? God, I pray that we would actually leave very differently and not just challenged and encouraged with uh, another time of a message and, and music, but we would actually be spurred on to live very differently in how we interact with you and interact with those around us. So God, we entrust uh, this time to you and ask that you would speak and give us hearts and ears and minds to receive and respond to everything that you'd have for us in this place today. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Does anyone remember... Uh, a commercial. This was in 1991, and I liked it so much that I want you to see it because it's awesome. So remember this commercial. Here we go. Do you feel like singing along? Sometimes I dream that he is me. Got to see that's how I dream to be. Remember that? All right, couple people. No one was watching Gatorade commercials in 1991, apparently. That sent Gatorade stock through the roof, and uh, this cultural icon uh, known as Michael Jordan, uh, back in the late 80s when he was uh, uh, drafted uh, by the Chicago Bulls into the 90s when they started winning these world championships, everyone was singing the song, and everyone wanted to be like Mike. Okay. You might be thinking, well, I didn't want to be like Mike. Uh, I wanted to be like Mike, okay? I would go out to the courts, and yes, I know I don't look at all like Michael Jordan, uh, but I would practice moves, and uh, my house was really close, like 50 yards away from a park, and I would go out when no one else was there, and I would have my tongue hanging out, 
uh, trying to have my tongue hang out at least. And I was doing these weird things and it never worked, but I so wanted to be like this guy, Michael Jordan. Uh, I just thought he was such a captivating uh, athlete and as well as a personality. I don't want to be like Mike anymore. Um, I grew out of that uh, a few weeks ago, but um, <laughs> you'd be happy to know. Uh, but I thought of that commercial uh, because the question that that uh, commercial, at least I think, uh, is looking for is, who do you want to be like? There were millions of people who sang that song and were convinced, I want to be like Michael Jordan. He was successful. He attained greatness. He had all of the wealth and all of the things that go with that. Everyone wanted to be like Mike. So as you're here today, as you sit here today, this morning, who do you want to be like? Who do you want to be like? I'm not saying who do you want to be. Uh, I'm not saying be someone else, but I'm saying we all have people that we have interacted with in our lives. People have come across our path. Man, I would love to be like that. We'd love to have that heart or that mind or the way they think or the way they interact. I would love to have that. Or be like that. Not be that person. I'm not suggesting that. But as you consider it, who do you really want to be like? There's lots of people. I, I would love to have a little bit of Jonathan Edwards in me. Wouldn't mind if a little John Piper flowed out of me once in a while. Wouldn't mind if certainly some of the Bible guys like Apostle Paul, if he showed up once in a while. There's lots of people that I've studied and I've read and I've sat with, some dead and some alive that I would love to be like them in certain ways. But more than anything, I honestly, I genuinely can say, I want to be like Christ. That's who I want to be like. I can certainly learn, learn from some folks who've gone before me and some folks who are just with me. But at the end of the day, if you were to ask me, Michael Davis, who do you really want to be like? I want to be like Christ, hands down. I want to be like Christ all of the time, not just some of the time. I want to be Christ to all people, not just some people. I want to be like Jesus. I'm not saying I'm going to be Jesus. No confusion there. I want to be like Christ. So fill in your blank. <clears throat> I want to be like who? I know many of us, would say, well, yeah, okay, that seems like a good Sunday school answer. I'm cool with that. I'd like to be like Jesus too. I think the harder question is, if you answer, I want to be like Christ, are you willing to do everything that Christ did? Because if you're going to be like somebody, you imitate, you mimic them. You follow the way that they went. You say the things that they said. You do the things that they did. So before you jump to a conclusion of, yes, I'd like to be like Christ, that's good. But my, I think, harder question is, are you willing then to do whatever it takes to truly be like Christ, to do what he did, to say what he said, to love as he loved? If you want to be like that, but it's not married to a commitment to do and say and love like Christ did, your life will really be the sum of a catchy little ditty. It will just be a song. I want to be like this. I want to be like this. But 
There's no progress. There's no forward movement. So the challenge today that we're going to look at in 1 John is if you say that you really want to be like Christ, then will you marry what you say to what you'll do? If there is a divorce between what we say and what we do, then we will just be making noise. Our life will just be that song. I want to be like that, but I'm not willing to do what it takes uh, to ultimately be like that. If you have a Bible, uh, flip open uh, to 1 John chapter 3. As I mentioned, this is uh, the beloved disciple uh, known as John, the Apostle John. This is at the end of his life, and he writes this letter uh, to the Christian community at large. He's roughly 90 years old, uh, so he's had a lot of time to reflect, nearly 60 years roughly, uh, since the time that Christ had been uh, killed and resurrected. He's had 60 years to think upon and meditate upon uh, the person of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, and he saw 60 some odd years of what Jesus was doing uh, in the first century church. And this is the letter uh, that he penned at the end of his life. 1 John chapter 3, start at verse 11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. He's going back to the beginning of Jesus. We should love one another. Sound familiar? He's quoting John chapter 13, verse 34, 35. Verse 12, do not, I repeat, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. I love this picture. Remember the command. Love one another. Go back to the beginning. Remember what Jesus said. The command was to love one another. And then I just have this moment where John's thinking to himself, don't be like Cain. Don't be like Cain, who was just filled. And by the way, if you don't know who Cain is, you'd have to go back to read his tragic story in Genesis chapter 4. He was the first son of Adam and Eve. And unfortunately, uh, he is remembered as the first human to ever commit premeditated murder. He was the first man who was so filled with anger that turned towards bitterness, that turned towards hardness of heart, that led to hatred, that he killed his younger brother. That's who Cain is. As you think about anger... Uh, this is a question I think most of us uh, will have to say yes to, but have you ever done something in anger? Okay, easy question because all of us would have to say yes. But I want you to think a little bit beyond your yes to what has your anger led you to do? Parents, I'll pick on you because I'm a parent too. Has your anger ever led you to do something uh, to your kids? And I'm not talking about like, you know, throwing them through windows and that kind of thing, but I'm talking about, have you ever disciplined your child, but it actually wasn't discipline in love, you were, you were so angry, you were so frustrated. And if you're not a parent, you might actually remember your parents disciplining you, not because they loved you, but because they were so frustrated with you. Spouses, if you're married, have you ever responded, reacted, said, or did something that did not flow from love, but flowed 
through, because you had so much anger in you. If you're not a parent, if you're not a spouse, you're a friend, a coworker, a neighbor. Have you ever done something that just stemmed? It came from so much anger that you had. Driving a car. Anger ever show up there? Standing in line. Anger ever show up there? The message that John gives, and I love this 90-year-old man, don't be like Cain. His anger led him to kill, to murder. He says this in Genesis chapter 4. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you would do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. This picture of sin is crouching at his door. It wants to dominate him. It wants to control him. And then in verse 8, Now Cain said to his brother, Abel, and this is a, a seamless passage here. It's almost as God speaks to Cain. And he's like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but Abel, let's go out to the field. Completely ignored what God said. Verse 8, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, his brother Abel and killed him. I used to be very Cain-like. And unfortunately, Cain still creeps up sometimes. Don't put me in traffic and don't put me in crazy long lines. I typically don't do well. Cain still surfaces, but I don't want to be like Cain. John says, do not be like Cain. And to be honest with you, the only reason that I ever discovered that I was actually Cain-like is because someone loved me enough to say, Michael, I see anger in you. And I thought it was interesting that this man, uh, an older man who was speaking into my life, and I'm very thankful for it, he didn't say, I hear anger in you. He said, I see it. I can almost safely say, I'm not like the yelling, screaming type. I've never like yelled or ripped someone you know, with my, my voice in terms of, you wouldn't be able to listen to me and be like, wow, he yells and screams a lot. He just hates everyone. I'm not that guy. I've never been a yeller screamer. And what I was really cut to the heart with is, you might not think you're an angry person because you're not yelling and screaming and flying off the handle, but I see anger in you. And if you don't deal with it, Michael, it will destroy you and it will destroy other people in your life. And thankfully, at the time, I was in my early 20s, I had some level of wisdom to listen to him and not argue with him and be like, what do you know? It was what caught me was, I see it in you. John says, don't be like Cain. Cain's anger, and sometimes just so we're not confused, anger is, doesn't just show up in what we do, and sometimes we can do some pretty malicious things. It also shows up in what we don't do. So if you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not that angry person because I don't do, you know, uh, those things, meaning I'm not yelling and screaming and hitting and punching and kicking and just 
flying off the handle. That's not me. Anger shows up also in the things that you refuse to do because you're angry. Meaning, you refuse to share with someone a kind word because you're so angry at them. You refuse to forgive someone. Why? Because you're so angry at them. So anger is, is two things. Two sides of the same coin, so to speak. Shows up in certainly what we can do, flying off the handle, but it also shows up in what we don't do. John's message is, don't be like Cain. And if you're like Cain, I'm pretty confident you might agree with this. There's really no joy in being an angry, bitter, frustrated, hard-hearted individual. I can't ever say I've met someone, and I've been that person, where it's like, wow, I am so happy because my heart has so much hatred. I love it. I would get more and more angry because I couldn't stop being angry. It's this vicious cycle. There's no joy in being a bitter person. At the end of the day, there's no joy in being like Cain because what's missing in your life is love. He goes on in verse 14 and says this, We know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life. This is a really hard section of scripture because it clearly teaches if you're one who has hate in your heart towards another person, you clearly don't know God. And if you don't know God, you're missing everything. You don't know eternal life. You don't have heaven as your home when you die. If you're the person who is filled with anger, John says that's evidence that you don't know God. How could you ever say, I hate my brother but then, God, I love you. That's so inconsistent. Those who know God know God's love, and God's love has so penetrated them that hate does not come out, love comes out. If we hate, but we say, you know what? It's just anger. It's not that big of a deal. It's just to this person, and he's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing anyways, and I just can excuse that. You're a liar. That's not me talking, that's what the Bible says. If you claim to love God but yet hate someone, have this undealt with, unconfessed, unrepented of anger, Scripture says you're lying. You're lying to God, you're lying to yourself, and you're lying to other people. 1 John 4, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. I love John, he's just, he's just to the point. If you say you love God but you hate your brother... I've got a category for that, and the category is, you're a liar. He goes on, for anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. How can you claim to love God who you've not seen, but then look at your brother who you can visually see and hate him? It doesn't work. He goes on, um, Verse 21, and he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. <laughs> I love these uh, few verses. Don't be like Cain. This is a charge to us as a church. If anyone here is Cain-like, confess it and repent of it. Ask God to give you a heart that would not be Cain-like, but as John's about to teach, in verse 16, don't be Cain, be Christ. Don't be Cain-like, 
Be Christ-like. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Just stop there. Don't be Cain-like, be Christ-like. But what was Christ-like? Verse 16, he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. I'm going to say this a lot in the next 15 minutes. Don't be Cain-like, be Christ-like. It's easy to be Cain-like. It's difficult to be Christ-like. Why? Because I have to constantly die to the Cain that's in me, the one that wants to lash out, the one that wants to hurt, that wants to give people what I think they deserve because I'm such a fair, righteous judge. Don't be Cain, be Christ. He goes on in verse 17 and 18 to says this, if anyone has material possessions, sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. That's convicting to me. Michael, don't be the guy who just says, yes, I love Jesus and I love my brother, but if you were to examine my life, you wouldn't see it. There's too much love that's talked about, not enough love that's seen. You ha- you love, you see love. I know we often hear about love. We often say things like, I love you, my wife. I love you, my husband. I love you, whoever. But love is not just something that's said. If it's not seen, it's not love. Mother Teresa, most people would agree she's a pretty phenomenal lover of God and lover of people. This is what Mother Teresa said. For love is only of use if it's seen in action. If you can't see it, it's not love. Mother Teresa, the way she lived and she lived well, earned the right to say that. And I believe that's a biblical statement. It backs up what, Jesus, what John is talking about in 1 John chapter 3, 17 and 18. Love has to be seen. Too much talk about we love as a church, there has to be your talk married to our actions. Dear children, a term of endearment, a term of affection, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Another author, uh, commentator, uh, his name's John Poulton, said this, Christians need to look like what they are talking about. I read that and I was like, wow, that's so simple but profound. We need to look like what we're actually talking about. If I'm talking about the love of God, I better look like someone who believes he's loved by God and someone who's got the love of God just overflowing from me to anyone and everyone. Christians need to look like what they are talking about. wanted to finish up um, with this because uh, I wanted to be, uh, if the message this morning is don't be Cain-like, be Christ-like, and I've already asked the question, who do you really want to be like? I hope none of us would walk out saying, I'm excited to go out and be Cain. That's not good. I hope we would actually walk out saying, I want to be Christ. And I don't want to just talk about being Christ-like. I'm willing to do it. And if you go back to verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. The one thing that Jesus modeled, taught, and showed us is sacrificial love. 
And so I wanted to finish with, what is sacrificial love? And I really want us to get it. I don't want to just teach on what sacrificial love is and what the Bible says sacrificial love is. So you know it. I don't want us to be theorize and think about it and read about it. I want us as a church, I want me, I want you to be practitioners of love. That we practice love. We don't think about it. We don't write stories about it. We do it. Action and in truth. It's coming from us. That if anyone would ever accuse our church of anything is, you just love people too much. You have to stop. You're giving away too many things. You're too welcoming. You're too gracious. You're too kind. You're too forgiving. Cut it out. Let people accuse us of that. I'm okay with that. But if people accuse us, we're divisive, we're unfriendly, we're uncaring, we're unkind, not generous, shame on us. Because we're just talking about something, but we're refusing to live it. So I'm going to finish with seven things. I'm going to go through these pretty quick. I'll give scripture references for each one. But not to be confused, this is what sacrificial love is. So if you're going to be like Christ, Christ sacrificially loved. These are seven things that Christ taught, modeled, showed, and then called us to do to sacrificially love. And before I give you the seven, husbands, if you're married, you are called to love your wife sacrificially. If you're not loving your wife sacrificially, repent and start loving her sacrificially. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Jesus love the church? He sacrificed for the church. Husbands, if you're a husband and you're not doing this, start doing this. That is your role, responsibility, right, and privilege to love your spouse sacrificially. If you're not married and you're thinking about getting married and you're a guy, if you're not ready and prepared to love sacrificially, don't get married. And I mean that sincerely. Too many people enter into saying, I'll figure it out and I hope it goes well. It doesn't go well. If you're not willing to die to yourself, men, and love your women, your wives sacrificially, you've got no business being married. You know why? Because you pass it on to the next generation. You will have sons who saw you not love sacrificially, and guess what? That's what they'll do for their wives. If you're a husband, thinking about being a husband, love sacrificially. So what is sacrificial love? Number one, sacrificial love demands a demonstration. Sacrificial love demands a demonstration. The only way that I actually know God loves me is because he demonstrated his love. If there is no demonstration of sacrificial love, it's just words. Romans 5.8, a great verse. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates how much he loves us in Jesus. John 3.16, you may have heard of it before. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. How do I know that God loves? Because he gave. He demonstrated. One more, Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If he didn't hold back Jesus, he's not going to hold back anything else. He's given us all. He demonstrated his love for us most clearly, most visibly in Jesus. So number one, sacrificial love demands a demonstration. Number two, sacrificial loves all people, not just some people. I know the mentality, it's very easy, is, well, I love certain people, and typically those people that we love the most really look like us. They like the things we like. They look kind of like what we look like. Sacrificial love at some level is blind in that it loves anyone and everyone. Sacrificial love loves all people, not just some people. A great preacher, pastor, author, Jonathan Edwards uh, said this, They are full of dear affections to some and full of bitterness towards others. They are knit to their own party, them that approve of them, love them and admire them, but are fierce against those that oppose and dislike them. If you want to know if you're good, a practitioner of sacrificial love, here's a good test. How do you do when people oppose you, when people criticize you, when people disappoint you, when people come up against you? Do you put your hands up, not only ready to start defending yourself, but ready to start swinging when the time comes? When he drops his his hands a little bit, lifts his chin up, are you ready to pop? If you're the person when you get disappointed, hurt, let down, whatever it might be, someone didn't like you, if you don't respond to them in love, that's not sacrificial love. Sacrificial love loves anyone, everyone at all times. I am not suggesting that we all always love what people do, but we love people in hopes that our love will win them. Number three, sacrificial love is seen in searching. (coughs) Meaning, if I will be a person who loves sacrificially, I'm a person who is always seeking out, I'm always searching out those that I can love. I love Luke 15. If you've never read through uh, the stories and the parables in Luke 15, phenomenal stories of a shepherd who lost his sheep, a woman who lost her coin, and a father whose son went prodigal. Love is seen in searching out. First, or, uh, Luke um, 15 tells that story, but 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 10 says this, This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What that means is when God looked at humanity, he wasn't like, wow, look at all these people. They just adore me. They love me. He looked at humanity and said they're sinful. And if they die and are lost in their sins, they'll be separated. God's love for you, for me, for humanity, drove him to send his son to come and seek and save those that were lost. Sacrificial love is seen when we search. I won't read the the parable, but the parable of uh, the lost sheep. The story is there's a hundred, but one lost his way. It would be unheard of 
for a shepherd to bail on 99 to go get one. A normal shepherd would be like, it's just one. I don't care. I've got 99 more. He's not worth that much anyways. But the good shepherd went searching for the one, stopped all, left the sheep in the open field, as the story says, and he went searching for the one. Why? Because sacrificial love is seen in searching. Number four, sacrificial love involves a laying down. There's something that you have in your hands, you put it down. If I will sacrificially love someone, whatever I'm holding, I release. I don't hold on to anything. I live life very open-handed. If someone needs, they can take. If I have in my ability at all to give, I don't grab, I don't clutch, I just release. John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Such a challenging verse of Michael Davis. Who are you laying your life down for? Well, those who look like me, those who like me, or am I laying down my life? Sacrificial love says I lay something down. I love in uh, John 10, verse 11, Jesus teaches this metaphor of he is the good shepherd and we are the sheep. And he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life, for, lays down his life for the sheep. No shepherd would ever lay down his life for the sheep. If a wolf came, they'd bail. If their life was on the line, they would run. But Jesus says, I'm not like that shepherd. I'm the good shepherd, and a good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus did that. He laid down. He gave his very life. Sacrificial love involves a laying down. Number five, sacrificial love is heard in forgiveness. I think one of the most powerful moments um, is a story when Jesus was already on the cross. And there were people mocking him, spitting on him. There were people still challenging him. If you're really God, come down from the cross. If you do, we promise we'll follow you. Insulting him. There was men, Roman soldiers, who were bartering for his clothes, gambling for who would get what. As Jesus is just bloodied and battered and bruised, spat upon, he looks out at humanity and rather than curse them, rather than say, what am I doing up here for these people? He prays and he says simply in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up the clothes, his clothes by casting lots. What a prayer. Anyone ever come after you, do what they were doing to Jesus, and you just actually prayed for them and said they just don't know what they're doing? See, I actually believe they really did know what they were doing. And Jesus knew that they knew what they were doing. But he chose to offer them grace. Despite their actions, despite their behavior, Father, would you please forgive them? Sacrificial love can be seen, can be heard in forgiveness. 
Such a powerful thing. You ever been forgiven? I mean, you ever really messed up and someone just looked at you and you thought you had done something that was um, uh, beyond someone being gracious to you. And you actually had the humility to go to them and say, you know what? I really messed up. Will you please forgive me? And they looked at you and with immediate response and a smile said, absolutely. Absolutely. I love you. That's sacrificial. Rather than being the person who, when someone says, I've messed up, bad, will you forgive me? I need to pray about it. What do you need to pray about? I guarantee if you go to God with the prayer, dear Jesus, I'm wondering if I should forgive this person. Jesus' response might sound something like this, yes. (laughs) There's really nothing to pray about. The prayer is, God, be gracious to me in abundance so I can be gracious to those who've hurt, wronged, wounded, offended me. Sacrificial love can be seen, can be heard when we say those words, I forgive you. Sacrificial love, number six, means there is a sacrifice to be made. Now, I know that seems a bit redundant, but if I'm going to love sacrificially, this is a bit similar to laying down, but if I will love sacrificially, that actually means I'm making a sacrifice. Jesus didn't talk about loving sacrificially. He says in 1 John, or John says of Jesus, chapter 2, verse 2, He's the atoning sacrifice for sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world, the whole world. Jesus sacrificed himself. So if you will love sacrificially, there should be some level of loss for you. There should be some level where you feel it, where it actually might hurt a little bit. This might show up in giving, this might show up in forgiving, might show up in a few different ways, but if you will love sacrificially, there has to be a sacrifice to be made. Love Hebrews 13 says this, do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices, God's pleased. When we do good to others, there is a sacrifice, a giving of our time, of our talents, of our treasures, of ourselves. God says, I'm pleased with that. I smile upon that. I bless that. When people sacrifice of themselves, whatever it might be, God says, that is pleasing. Why? Because you're being Christ-like. Why? Because that's what Christ did. Number seven, sacrificial love, and this is the last one. Sacrificial love is always, underscore, put a star next to it, Sacrificial love is always extravagant. Sacrificial love is always extravagant. I was holding off on reading uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. One of my favorite verses in Scripture. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. If you're ever having a crummy day, if you're ever having that moment where 
just everything is turned and twisted and messed up and just doesn't make sense, would you just pause long enough to say, how great is the love that the Father has lavished on me? No matter what, and I know you can come up with some scenarios that are pretty hard, pretty hurtful, but stop in that moment. How great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us that I can be his son or you can be his daughter. That's amazing that God from heaven would look down on the creator and say, that's my son, that's my daughter and lavish his love upon us. Sacrificial love is always extravagant. Jay Packer said it like this, sacrificial love involves giving, spending, and impoverishing ourselves up to the limit for their well-being. Means I give, I spend, I will do even if it hurts me in order that someone else might benefit. That's extravagant love. Ask this question. Have you ever been loved extravagantly? Has someone ever done something for you, to you, that you just walked away and you're like, that was amazing. I cannot believe they said that, they did that. Have you ever been loved extravagantly? Go and do that. Whatever was done to you in extravagance, go model that. And if you're thinking to yourself, I don't have one story of anyone who's ever extravagantly loved me. Then just look at the cross. Look at Jesus. Do what Christ did. He loved extravagantly. And we all have a scenario in our mind of what we'd want someone to do for us in terms of loving us extravagantly. Whatever you're thinking about, just do that. If you're confused as what Christ did, you know the kind of love that you would love to receive. Someone to pursue you, to forgive you, to reach out to you, to be gracious, to be generous, whatever it might be. Sacrificial love always is extravagant. Do extravagant things. Not so people would be impressed by you. Not so anyone would look at you and be like, you are such a phenomenal human being. Can I build a monument in your name? Can I write a book about you? That people would see and say, how is it that you love so generously, so extravagantly? Because that's how God loved me. I don't know how else to do it. If you have another way, I'll try that. But until then, God loved me extravagantly. God was generous in his love. That's the way I will love people. How dare any of us ever say, I can't love them like that? Because God's never said to you, or would he ever say to you, I can't love you like that. That's too much. You don't deserve it. You haven't been to church enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You don't give enough. You don't... God's not looking at a checklist of what we do or don't do. God's love is based solely on one thing. You know what it is? God is love. He cannot help but love extravagantly. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. Be imitators of God. Don't try to be God, okay? None of us are gods. Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, 
just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What a great picture. Imitate God. Imitate God to people so that they would see what God looks like by the way you treat them, by the way you speak to them. People should walk away from conversations with us saying, my goodness, I'm so encouraged. I feel so blessed. I feel so loved. When can I talk with you again? Not, oh, when am I going to see that person again? Sacrificial love is always extravagant. One final thing, and I'll close with this. None of us, and I mean this, can do this on our own. I cannot sacrificially love anyone. I cannot sacrificially love my kids, my wife, my church. I cannot do it because I am too Cain-like. I'm too selfish, too bent on wanting people to love me more than I am bent on trying to love people. And this is how it works. This is what everything hinges upon, Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. The only way I can love anyone is because God has planted his love for me into my heart. And his love cannot be contained in one little person. So when God plants his love for you, in you, in your heart by his spirit, the natural response is not to be ungenerous with that love, but to be extravagantly generous with that love. So I'm thankful for a verse like Romans 5, because I don't have to fabricate work hard to love people. My prayer is simple. God, fill me with your love so that I can love my spouse, my children, my friend, my coworkers, my roommates, like you love me. That's my prayer. I don't have to work up this crazy amount of courage and will myself to do it. God, fill me with your love so that I can love well and I can love everyone that I would see this day, this week, this month. Seven things on sacrificial love. Let's not just think about it. Let's not even just pray about, should we do this? Should we try this? Let us love in action, in deed, in truth. Let's not be the people or certainly not the church that we talk about love, but we do it. And love is not just heard, it has to be married to what people can see. I'm going to just pray and in a few moments invite you to come and celebrate uh, communion. And we do this every Sunday at Genesis, and I'm thankful that we do, is we remember sacrificial love every single week when we gather as a community. We remember that Christ loved us perfectly and completely and wholly, that he sacrificed, he laid down, he gave, he demonstrated his love for us, and that he took our sins upon him. He paid the penalty, the consequence for all of our sins, past, present, and future, so that those who would trust in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, would stand before God one day and not have to flex my spiritual muscles and say, well, I did this, I did this, and I did this. 
He'll ask, did you know him? Did you know my son? And so when we celebrate communion, we celebrate that we know the son. And because we know the son, we have life, life eternal. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know the son, say a very simple prayer, but a transformational prayer of Jesus, I want to know you. I confess you as God. I thank you that you sacrificially loved me. I accept your grace, your generosity of love and forgiveness of my sins. To those who've made that decision, take a moment. I'm not going to ask you who do you need to sacrificially love because you need to sacrificially love everyone. It's not just one person. It's not just two people in your life who are driving you nuts right now. It's sacrificially love every single person, known, unknown. I just want you to think for a moment as you would just pray and reflect and just say, God, thank you for sacrificially loving me. I can see it. I saw what Jesus did, and I say thank you for it. Father God, I just pray as we would spend a moment just reflecting God, I do pray if there is anyone who is confused as to whether or not you love, God, I pray hearts right now would be so receptive to receive you, Jesus, and it's a demonstration, God, of your great love for us. God, I do pray that you would fill our hearts with your love that it would change and transform us and how we know you and walk with you and relate with you. But God, that your love for us would not be contained in one single person. It would just overflow from me, from everyone that's here, to our neighbors, to our spouses, to our kids, roommates, coworkers. They would see a profound, marked difference and how we treat them, and how we love them.